Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Proverbs, the first chapter, verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Ron, and I'm one of the elders here at Pillar, and I have the privilege today of introducing our new sermon series that will cover the next four weeks. And the sermon series is on Proverbs. Uh, The sermon series title is Wisdom, Nothing You Desire Compares. And we're going to be spending these four weeks in the book of Proverbs after our I think it was 14 years in Corinthians, right? First Corinthians. So we're doing a, a four-week sermon series in Proverbs where we'll take, after today, we'll do, the, we'll do the interview, the overview today, and then we'll take three different subjects that God has for us in Proverbs to look at more in depth. So today, the overview and our main idea for today is this. We become more like Jesus as we listen and heed wise counsel. We become more like Jesus when we listen and heed wise counsel. That's what we're going to look at today. When we focus in on wisdom, there are lots of wisdom books around us. There's wisdom books that predate our biblical Proverbs book, a collection of wise sayings for people to follow for a good life. One of my favorite uh, collections is called the Life's Little Instruction Book. Do you remember this? Uh, 1991, this comes out. H. Jackson Brown wanted to write a letter to his son who was off to college, and he started to just jot down, what are some things that you need to know before you go to college? So he creates 511 suggestions, observations, and reminders on how to live a happy and rewarding life. I really did like this book. It was pretty good. There was Life's Little Instruction 2 and 3 and 4. So there's, I mean, really, there's thousands if you want to hear from Jack Brown. Here are a couple of my favorites that I think, when I read this back in 91, mid-90s or so, I take these to heart. Here are some that I really have taken to heart. Number one, the first lesson to his son is this. Compliment three people every day. It's a good one, right? Kind of try to do something like that in my life. Number 13, learn a card trick. (laughs) If you know me, I love cards. And in fact, that's how I uh, got Christy to fall in love with me. Number 42, (laughs) Write thank you notes promptly. It's something that, that we do as a family. When someone gives us a gift, we, we sit down and write thank you notes. I think about this. Number 65, let people pull out in front of you in traffic. That one's tough to do in Okinawa. God's still working on me with that one. Uh, number 81, avoid sarcastic remarks. I'm doing really well pulling out, letting people pull out in front of traffic. Number 96, lend only those books you never care to see again. That's why I never give any of you people my books, okay? You will never, I will never lend anybody anything. Uh, You can borrow my wife's books anytime, but talk to me later. Uh, Number 128 is one that I really find is is my favorite of all, and that is remember people's names. Uh, I think that's an important thing for us to do. 
Number 158, pray not for things, but for wisdom and courage. It's as if he read Proverbs. And then 212, own a cowboy hat. <laughs> that is one that's just wrong. Nobody should ever own a cowboy hat, really. And if you have one, I will pray for you after the service. We like having these lists, don't we? Don't we like lists? We like lists because overall, we like wisdom. We like the notion of wisdom, at least. Whether it's life's little instruction book or maybe 10 steps to do something, even fortune cookies. We like the idea that there's wise counsel and we should follow it. However, it's the following that becomes another story. It's the following that we kind of break down on. Proverbs is a book that really stands out to me for a few reasons. Over my, my Christian life, uh, I became a Christian in high school, and a few things about Proverbs. One, if you looked at my Bible over there, it's the book that's most marked up in my life, in, in all of 66 books. Proverbs is the one that has more margin notes, underlines, stars, um, and circles around words, because I just think there's something in Proverbs that really speaks to me. Uh, one of them is my, it's one of my first verses I memorized as a Christian. You probably memorized this one as well, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make... Uh, I got, the, I got the, t the things wrong on there, but... In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. You've heard of that before. It's a famous one that people memorize. And it's also actually one of the first sermons I've ever preached was in the book of Proverbs. Um, I was in Bible college and we had a biblical preaching class and we had to preach something and I preached a terrible sermon out of Proverbs. I hope this is a little bit one better uh, than that one. But Proverbs is important to me, and I'm honored to be able to open this book up and take a look at it overall for, for us today at, Pil at uh, Pillar. So first, moving from introduction, let's look at how we study Proverbs, because something has to be different in how we study Proverbs, or it's really how not to study Proverbs. We make an error at not approaching this book properly. We make a mistake because we approach this book the same way we would approach any other book in the Bible, and that is not true. It's not the way we ought to move into this. The principles of how we read and interpret Proverbs should be different on how we read and interpret, say, 1 Corinthians or Romans or one of the gospel books. Proverbs falls in a category called wisdom literature, and with this, is Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes. These fall into this category, this genre of biblical literature called wisdom. Hermeneutics, you probably have heard that word before. I think John's used it several times. It's the, it's the principle of how we study and interpret the Bible. So how do we study and interpret the Bible? We need a, a little bit of a hermeneutics lesson here, is that we use different hermeneutical skills for different books of the Bible. Well, how we study Proverbs in its nature of what it is is different than how we study Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or the different how we study something like Ezekiel or of Revelation. We approach it differently. How we look at Proverbs is going to be different than how we look at 1 Corinthians. And we know this, like we, we do this already in our reading of outside biblical sources, is that we read some books differently than the way we read other books. For example, I'm going to confess a sin to you now. I'm an English teacher, I have been for 20 years, and I really like John Grisham, okay? So I know that's kind of a anathema to say, but I like John Grisham. But the way I read John Grisham, even though it's English, it's in, written in English, it uses the same words, but the way I approach John Grisham is different than the way I'm going to approach a biography 
say, of Steve Jobs. I love Steve Jobs, too. Uh, and so the way I approach these two are going to be different. A book of poetry, we approach it differently than a, book of, a history book of World War I. We would approach uh, a book I just finished, uh, Orwell's 1984. The way I read that is different than the Chilton's auto repair manual of a Honda Civic 1983, right? Nobody opens up that guide and was like, man, the way this guy describes a rebuilt alternator, it's pretty beautiful. Um, I don't know what I'm talking about. I've never rebuilt anything. But, but we, the idea is that we approach different genres differently, and we need to do that. Not all biblical texts are approached the same way. We, we will say uh, we believe in the literal Bible, but we really shouldn't because some of the Bible is not meant to be word for word literal. And so the hermeneutical challenge that we have is that with Proverbs is that some are not meant, the words, is not, they're not meant to be literal all the time. So different approaches for different books because the genre of the book matters. Let me show you an example of what this looks like. Uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we went over this um, when we covered it, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is a great truth. We hang our Christian faith on it. We love this. This is true. Also true is Proverbs 10. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. So we have two truths here, both God-inspired truths, but the way we look at the Corinthians verse should be different than the way we try to see where the truth is here. Because instantly, I think, treasures gained by wickedness uh, do not profit Lots of times, treasures gained by wickedness profits. I've watched the entire series of Breaking Bad, and I know that it's true, that wickedness oftentimes causes, uh, treasures gained by wickedness do profit, and the righteous suffer. They don't deliver to death. Um, and so we look at those two things differently. Let, let's, let me show you another pairing, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Something we latch on to. We're a Christian. We, we, have, we have done this, which makes us Christians. However, we look at a proverb, and it says, Proverbs 21, it is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. It's okay. You can laugh. You can even say amen if you want to, because this is true. This is God-inspired truth here. This one takes a little bit of, of work to figure out what this means. Uh, it has some application that's not literal uh, in a sense. And so we approach Proverbs a bit differently. And then, you know, you can, you can make your own application for Proverbs twenty seven fourteen. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Okay, so this, you early risers, this is a curse here. We look at Proverbs, and we're going to see a lot of this kind of stuff, that if we were to take it exactly literal the way we would look at that Corinthians or Romans verse, we would be misreading the Bible that we, so, we hold so dear. And so one of the things we need to do is make sure we approach it as wisdom literature, as symbolic in a lot of ways, that need to be, the meaning needs to be teased out. We err also by making these legal guarantees all of these Proverbs, legal guarantees from God. God has promises that are legal guarantees that in all cases, this is true, like the Romans verse we read. Proverbs is not like that. Proverbs 16, 3 tells us, commit your work to the Lord 
and your plans will be established. It, this is a solid verse with great principle and great application for our lives. But this does not mean it is an ironclad promise that if you commit whatever crazy idea you have to God, some Ponzi scheme inviting Bitcoin, GameStop, and Sensi Candles, uh, it's going to be a success, right? It's not that kind of one-for-one uh, -one application. There's a principle to mine here about committing our works to the Lord. In all things, God and godly principles should be our focus. That's our principle. So these uh, Proverbs are not actual word-for-word -word guarantees. And then the final way that we should approach Proverbs is that we want to avoid making the error of talking, taking all the wording in Proverbs literally for word for word. Proverbs, by definition, are short, catchy, a short, catchy way to remember something. They are not intended to tell us everything about the truth presented. It's to point the way to truth. And we know this with just uh, an everyday proverb we have, look before you leap. You all know what that means. Uh, it's a quick way to talk about planning for future decisions. It doesn't tell us everything we need to know about decision-making or jumping, uh, but it's a short, memorable way to give us this practical truth. And if we approach Proverbs this way, God can teach us a great deal. We don't have to stress out with, with these literal meanings and uh, as if they're all exact promises from God in every circumstance. This is how we ought to approach Proverbs. God's truth in these short, memorable ways that offer us guidance. So that's how we should study Proverbs. Let's look now at why we should study Proverbs. Um, I read, I used a commentary from Ray Ortland, a former pastor, and he opens the first page on this. He gives us the why. Ortland says this, the book of Proverbs is practical help from God for weak people like us stumbling through daily life. It is his counsel for the perplexed his strength for the defeated, his warning to the proud, his mercy for the broken. I love that because this is all of us. We all are those weak people stumbling through life. And it is God's gift to us that he gives us a book of Proverbs for wise counsel on a whole myriad of issues here. It is his counsel for the perplexed. We are perplexed. We are the defeated. We are the proud. We are the broken. And Ortland tells us that the gift, this is a gift for us to give us this hope and practical help. It's a book filled with his moral instruction, right? It's filled with our, good, with our good in mind. It's God's gift to us. We need the grace of the gospel, for sure, that God gives us in the text. God rescues and redeems lost sinners. We need to know that and celebrate that. But we also need the guidance of wise moral instruction from a model and a guide to help us live. God not only saves us for future glory, which is excellent, but he also gives us practical, memorable tips for godly living on this earth. And we need this counsel. We need this advice. And think of us as parents, right? Christy and I have three kids. They're sitting right over there. Uh, we have three kids. Now, we offer our children the full blessing of acceptance all the time. We say things like this regularly. Regardless of test performance, we accept you. Whatever your report card grades, you got good report card grades, great. If you didn't, great, really. Uh, I'm a teacher who really doesn't care about grades. Uh, I, we tell them regularly that whatever awards you get in school or sports, whether you obey or disobey, we accept you and love you unconditionally. 
That's an important aspect for parents to give kids. That will never change. And this is a picture of God and the way he views us as sons and daughters of him. However, what if Christy and I stopped there? What what if that's where our parenting ended? If we said we accept you, no matter what, you're our children and we accept you. We gave them no instruction on how to treat people when they're treated poorly. We gave no instruction on how to handle money. We gave no instruction on how to treat people respectfully. No instruction on how to navigate sexual temptation. We gave no clear guidelines for moral instruction. We just gave them the full acceptance. We would be considered lackluster parents at the very least, perhaps. Moral instruction and godly wisdom are important not only to our children, but for us as well. We need to hear that God accepts us regardless of our place and regardless of our sin, regardless of our disobedience. But we also need godly wisdom to guide us. We need both of them. It is God's grace and goodness to us that we have a book dedicated to the principles to helping us walk the walk of faith in life. So this is a gift for us. Solomon is going to be our teacher in this gift. He's the main author. There's four, four or so authors uh, who compile Proverbs, and by far Solomon is the greatest contributor. First Kings tells us about Solomon. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all people in the East and the wisdom of Egypt. I mean, we have the best of the best, the wisest guy to tell us how we ought to live, a godly king telling us how we should live. Shouldn't we listen to this? He's our teacher who takes us through many areas of living. Most of them are not even religious. Most of the book of Proverbs doesn't use religious language at all. There are these practical uh, non-religious terms about money and sex and parenting and marriage and work and speech and happiness and worship. God gives us all of these things through Proverbs. Solomon was a kind of renaissance man of his time, not only interested in worldly pursuits, I mean, I'm sorry, religious pursuits, but looked at interests around the world as well, always connecting it to God, always connecting wisdom to God, everything is pointing and connecting to God and our relationship with God. So back to this list of money, sex, parenting, uh, marriage, work, speech, happiness, worship. Do we do this? Are we able to look at money, look at sex, look at marriage, and all connect it to God? It is God's kindness to us that we have a teacher like Solomon who's willing and able to walk us through examples that we can navigate through some, some difficult issues in our lives. Solomon's going to use this picture of three characters in Proverbs that you'll see a lot. One of them is the f- wise man, one of them is the fool, one of them is the simple. And so the, the wise man is not the smartest man in the room. Um, the wise man is the one who knows good, wise instruction and listens to it, which is what we hope to be. The fool is the one who hears wise instruction and rejects it. And the simple is just kind of doing his own thing. He doesn't even realize he needs what he really needs. And so we're going to see these three characters, not only today, but also throughout our study here. We need this book because we are too often the simple or the fool. We often like to be the character in the book that we're the wise. Of course I'm the wise. I'm the oldest one here. Of course I'm wise. Uh, But we will see that we are not that character. More often than not, the way the book is written We are never the character, the hero of this book. We are often the fool and the simpleton, as you'll see. Let's look at the purpose of the book. I think one of the best 
introductions to this book, uh, Solomon has given us the best introduction to any biblical book at the beginning because he outlines exactly what the book is going to be about and why. The thesis statement is so clear. And let's just start off with the first verse of chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. He's quickly establishing his authority. So maybe you need someone, you can't look down to somebody, you don't want to take wisdom from some guy on the street, but he's establishing his credibility as an author. He has the ability to speak this, and so he's, he's known for his wisdom, so therefore he's saying, these are mine. These are wise sayings from Solomon. Verse 1 tells us who it's from. Verse 2 to 6 give us these really clear goals that are nicely outlined. 2 to 6 say this, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction of righteousness, justice, equity. So we have these three areas right there, all these infinitive verbs, to know, to understand, to receive. That's the goal of this book. By reading this book, we are going to know, receive, and uh, to receive and understand, three of them. But then in chapter four, I mean, verse four, he switches. He switches from the receiver to now the teacher, in this model. So not only are we receiving these uh, wise instructions, but now we're giving them. It's also the goal of the book to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. So this is for all of us here today, because in some areas, you are wise and you can offer people. In other areas, you are the fool and you need wisdom. So it's not a matter of you guys are the wise, you're the fools, you're the simpletons, or anything like this. We all are all of them. There are times where God is going to put you in someone's path where you are the wise one, that you are to, pr- to give prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the youth. And there are times where you need to receive wisdom and instruction. So I really like that. We, like, we can all get behind this list of goals. This right here, there's nothing religious about this list of goals at all. You could give this to anybody who claims uh, religion or not religion, and they would probably agree with you that we can agree that we would need some advice on money, marriage, parenting, uh, work, sex, uh, happiness. We could use that. We even hunger for it sometimes. We want wise counsel. Taking wise counsel is a lot tougher, especially if that person is younger than you or perhaps lower ranking than you or not as many college degrees as you or I mean, not as good looking as you, you know, like we we could have all kinds of things that get in the way of being able to take wise counsel because taking wise counsel is tough. So in this goal, he talks about to know wisdom, to understand, to receive, and then he talks about to give. And I almost want to pull him aside and say, Solomon, I don't think you need to remind us to give counsel because I'll tell people what to do any day of the week all day. I mean, that's easy. Like me telling you what you, you know, I'm going to pick randomly right now. I'm going to tell you what to do. Uh, I'm just not, but I could, right? Like we love giving advice to people. You know what you should do? You know, if you start off any sentence with that, you're wrong. Uh, and so uh, Solomon, I think the, the admonition to us is to receiving wise counsel. There are times where we need to give it, and that's an important aspect, but I think we all need encouragement at receiving wise counsel. This book forces us to look at ourselves and realize that I am the fool. This book is for you and me because you and I are fools. This is a book for idiots like us, and I'm thankful for it because as we embrace our idiocy and realize that we are fools in so many areas of our life, 
God then can use that to grow us in wisdom and knowledge for the purpose of glorifying him. This book addresses how we can live as sons and daughters of God, how we are meant to live. And then his intro ends with verse 7, which makes this set apart from any top 10 list or any life's little instruction book or self-help books or wisdom guides. It's the purpose, the foundation of why we're studying wisdom. And it's this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. A few chapters later, he he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom as well. And so the foundation of true wisdom is always connecting it to God. We're not trying to be wise for the sake of being wise. I know you, you in your workplaces or maybe your spheres of whatever, you may be considered the wise man. And that kind of feels good, right? People come to you, who should I invest with? Uh, who should I, how should I, you know, and you, you kind of feel good about that. But in, we don't want to be wise for the sake of being wise. Solomon tells us we should be wise and the beginning of wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. Now, you've heard this before, I'm sure. Fear of the Lord does not mean being afraid of the Lord. So as if God is some alcoholic father coming home from a a binger and you're hiding in your room afraid to awaken his notice. That is not the way we should approach God. Fear of the Lord is this. It is a reverence, a deep respect, an awe of God's power and his goodness. I mean, think about that. If that's how we approached God, that I'm not, the fear of the Lord is great awe. The way that if a dignitary, I mean, we see this in a very small bit, a dignitary walks in the room, you would kind of, you know, wow, you know, like you would have a bit of an awe uh, aspect to it. And so God on a much greater scale is that, deep respect and awe. The opposite of the fear of the Lord is fierce independence and autonomy. And so we want to do everything ourselves to be wise. That's the opposite of what Solomon is telling us. Connect all of our wisdom, and it all comes from the fear and awe of the Lord. So being afraid doesn't make any sense if we look at other verses in the Bible that use this phrase, fear of the Lord. Um, in, in, in Proverbs, it says, fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Being afraid of God is not the fountain of life. Fear of the Lord leads to life. Acts tells us the, the church walked in the fear of the Lord in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. That makes no sense if it was being afraid. But it's this idea of God and seeing who he is and his caring and his, and his goodness toward us. All for the glory of Jesus is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge for us. Solomon makes our relationship with God the foundation, the starting point in all of the rest of uh, the book he has. We start with the relationship with God And out of that, we're able to give and receive wise counsel. Wisdom in the Bible is defined, as it's defined, has nothing to do with cleverness, college degrees, IQ, or age. Sometimes that's uh, often seen as wise. Rather, it's this orientation to God. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Age is not the beginning of wisdom. I am older than most of you by a, probably a couple of years or so. It's too loud, too loud. Uh, and I am no wiser because I am older than you, right? It's, it's wrong thinking when we start to think that only older people are wise and younger people are not, are the fools. That's wrong thinking in biblical terms. God's mercy to us will help us to grow in godliness 
through this, through the book of Proverbs, as we start to connect to the fear of the Lord and know who he is and his person, and we connect to that, that's where wisdom comes from, not by growing old or getting degrees. We are not to be wise for wisdom's sake because we'll never be wise enough for it to satisfy us. If we want to be wise, do what James 1.5 says, and you know this verse. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without a reproach, and it will be given to him. So this is how we approach wisdom. If we want wisdom, don't start by sitting with wise people. Don't read life's little instruction book. Heck, don't even read Proverbs as your starting point. The starting point for us lacking wisdom is asking God, God, show us, show me how I can be wise and God will then speak truth to you through the Bible, through uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. He moves now in this first big section of the Bible, of the book of Proverbs, chapters 1 through 9. He, it's still like the intro that Solomon is setting up. And he uses these great word pictures that help us. And there's two different sets. One of them is the father and son. So instantly in verse 2, starting, uh, starting in chapter 2, Solomon becomes almost the role of this father having a conversation with his son. 28 times in, this, in these nine verses, we see the phrase, my son, my son. And he's giving him uh, uh, encouragement. He's giving him support. He's imploring him. He's having these tender conversations the way a father would his son. It gives us a natural mar- model that we know. So whether it's your son or perhaps a peer that we should adopt this model that Solomon adopts in his book where how do we approach the foolish one? So in the father-son case, the son is the foolish one and the father implores him, my son, listen to wise counsel. And the way he approaches this wisdom, it is so tender. Do we do that when we give this uh, caring, whether it's to our own children or this correction, whether it's to a friend or a peer or a fellow brother or sister? Do we do the same? Uh, do we have the same posture? Or how about when, we come, when someone is correcting us, do we still have this heart posture that I need to listen as a caring father would a son? This is, this is the situation he sets up, this caring father teaching his son. And I love this kind of stuff. I mean, in movies and TV, whenever there's like a father-son conversation, the air gets a little dry in our room. I don't know why, but uh, I don't cry. Uh, so uh, this idea, this father-son connection is so tender. I mean, I, I, I watch This Is Us, and every time Jack Pearson is on screen, it's like, I am a terrible dad, and I want to be a great dad. Uh, and so the idea that This Is Us has taught me more about being a father than any parenting book I've ever read. But I like that, te- that tenderness. I see this again in a movie that you probably overlooked. is from 2004 called In Good Company. Dennis Quaid plays a middle-aged salesman, and his company is bought by a a bigger company, and he's now no longer the supervisor. They replaced him with this young, hotshot, 26-year-old. And so this this kid, played by Topher Grace, is is named Carter. So Carter now, this 25, 26-year-old, is now the boss of this 50-year-old. And the whole movie is like them, like, kind of sparring how sometimes Gen Xers and millennials spar together. We'll talk later about that. Uh, is that, that. That's what the whole movie is about. But over the way, over the course, Dan becomes this father figure to Carter. It's very clear. And I'm telling you this because Carter says something at the end that is very proverbial. 
Carter says at the end when he realizes the impact Dan has had in his life, he says, thanks, Dan, for showing me some things. Nobody ever really has taken the time to teach me anything really worth learning. Nobody has ever taken the time to teach me anything really worth learning. I saw this on a plane, and as the credits were rolling with Iron and Wine playing in the soundtrack, I got my book out, and I, I wrote, like, what's worth learning? I love that phrase. And I wrote, we didn't have children then, but I wrote this long, lengthy poem about here are the things that I think are worth learning. Next week, we're having a coffee house reading, so I'll be reading it. You can all, like, snap with my poem, but... But this idea of like, what is worth learning? And I think Solomon, it cuts to this here, is that Solomon, Solomon is teaching us something worth learning. This is worth learning because following wise counsel brings us to godliness and Christ-likeness. That right there makes it worth learning. And so whether we're talking about money, sex, marriage, parenting, work, happiness, uh, worship, all of those things, what is worth learning about that? And this is where we go into the book of Proverbs. Well, father-son is one relationship. The second uh, word picture that he gives us is the personification of wisdom and folly. So in chapter 9, you have this idea of this busy street going, and on one side of the street, Lady Wisdom, we're told, has built her house. She has hewn for her seven pillars. She has slaughtered the beast. She's mixed her wine. She's set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread, drink of my wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. This pleading, this tenderness, this almost desperation, please, simple one, come. That's on this side of the street. On the other side of the street, there's somebody else. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house she takes a seat at the high places of the town, uh, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and the guests are in the depth of Sheol. We have the Lady Wisdom, the Woman Folly, and we are here in the middle. Now, we know which way we ought to go in this little setup here. We know we want to be wise. Most of us, even the fools among us, know that Lady Wisdom is where wisdom is found. And she calls in a voice that has the voice of the law and the prophet. She has the voice of our teachers and our parents and our trusted friends and our coaches. We know that that is the way. However, this side, Lady Folly, Money and sex and parenting and marriage and work and speech and happiness. Somehow it's so alluring and seductive. Folly calls out and there's something that just pulls us in. This is not the good and bad epic struggle with the little demon and angel like in cartoons. But this is here. Like where are we going to follow? Whose voice are we going to follow here? The wise or the foolish? And this idea is, is very clearly laid out in a book you should have read in ninth grade, uh, The Odyssey, if you remember that. The, I think ninth graders have been, ninth grade teachers have been teaching Odyssey since Odyssey was written. Uh, and so in the Odyssey, this great scene, I love Homer as like the first Western superhero that we have in literature. Uh, there's this island with 
the sirens and they're calling and they, these women have these beautiful songs and they just call out and the sailors, it sounds so beautiful and they just want to go to them and then they crash into the cliffs and die and the sirens rejoice in this death. Now, Odysseus, who's kind of a bit of a fool and a wise guy at the same time, Odysseus comes up with this idea. He plugs the sailor's ears with wax so they can't hear the siren call, but he wants to experience it. So he has people tie him to the mast, as you see in the picture there. He ties him to the mast with unblocked ears, and he says, no matter what I say, do not untie me. They go into range of the siren call. It's beautiful. Come, Odysseus, come. Quickly, he's like, untie me. Seriously, untie me. Everyone, untie me or I'm throwing you over. They don't untie him, and they make it safely past. Probably not a mix of wise and foolish. But this idea, the siren call in us, is so strong. And we need to tie ourselves to a mast uh, to, to get away from this, the call of the woman folly. How can we do that? And let's kind of move into some practical ways that we can do this, that we can tie ourselves to a mast of sorts, uh, or better yet, my advice to Odysseus is, is go around. You know, it seems easy. Forget all that stuff. But uh, here's a few ways that we can, we can uh, avoid the siren call. Listen to the words of the book about the issues. So the, Solomon speaks about all these issues in Proverbs. What truth is there for us? And we can learn from that. Perhaps people in our lives, like we need to start having a better posture for wise counsel. Uh, look at our missional communities. Those are groups of people uh, that are of different backgrounds. And here we have different experiences who can see into your life areas that you can't see. And so when someone tells you that there's, there's a, a flaw somewhere in you, we should have a posture to accept that. Because that is the lady wisdom calling us to something. Uh, whether it's an issue about moving or an issue about jobs or getting out or investing or marriage or parenting help, perhaps we should have a better posture of listening to people. And I, I want to go back to the same thing is don't make the old guy in the group be the only one who can speak truth. Christy and I are in the best MC uh, pillar offers and uh, our... That was a joke, kind of, but uh, it, it really is the best, but I'm just trying to make you feel a little bad. Uh, we have a great MC with different people of different ages and different ranks and different, 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 and I would be foolish if I didn't listen to what Ben Alessi would say to me because I am older than Ben. We have the same haircut, but I'm, I'm a little older. Uh, I would be a fool to not listen to what Ben has to say to me about something. I'd be foolish and if everyone looked to me and Christy, since we're the old people of the group, if everyone looked at us as the only arbiters of what wise and foolish decisions are, that would be a terrible, terrible way to operate. But rather, we willingly give ourselves to people to speak truth into our lives, to say that we need wise counsel, even though I am, I, th I think I'm 15 years older than anybody in our group. I think maybe 20. I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm 22, but... Um, is that I would be foolish to have age be this separator. We have a men's group here, and I'll say the same thing about this. Zachariah Pittman, you heard from him earlier. He leads a men's group about how to fight sexual temptation uh, and pornography. I would be foolish 
to not listen to what Zechariah says. Zechariah, you are one of my trusted friends, and I do listen to you. You were born the same year I graduated high school, but I don't let that get in the way. Uh, and, and so the idea is that we would be silly to not listen to who God places in our lives, regardless of rank or regardless of age or degrees or who has college, whatever. And so it's almost better. Christy has a better approach. Christy still, even though we've been in the military community for going on 20 years, she still doesn't know ranks at all. So she doesn't know anything. So she actually approaches it better. So she rank or age doesn't get in your way. So good job on that. Uh, but we want to have this posture better that people can speak into our lives. I have said this to several people in my life here. I said it actually today. I had coffee with a guy today. And I say these words that you should say to people in your life. I give you permission to speak into my life how you see me treat Christy, how you see me treat the kids, how I act at church and outside church. I give you permission to speak into my life. Now, again, I keep going back to me being older than any of you. But it shouldn't be that. There is nobody older. Well, there actually there is, but I won't point out people. But there is... I like second service because I'm not the oldest guy in the room. But uh, is that if I only went to the people older... If you only went to the people older than you, you're cutting out what God has for you here. So think about that phrase that you can say, I give you permission to speak truth in my life. Hard things. And I almost think friendships really start when hard things are spoken. Um, if we're just nice and, you know, chit-chatting and you're great, I'm great. No, we're all great. Uh, Nothing is really happening here. And so examine our posture when receiving uh, wisdom. As I mentioned before, it's really easy to give it. It's harder to receive it. And there are people all in this church who can advise you on all of these important decisions in life, on money and sex and parenting, marriage, work, speech, happiness, worship. We are brothers and sisters outside of the situation, who could see something more clearly than you. And so whether, whether or not you are the oldest person or perhaps you're the highest ranking person or whether you're the guy with, or woman with most degrees, if you let that get in the way of asking people to speak into your life godly truths, then you are foolish. Foolish. You are foolish. Uh, you are like Odysseus in a lot of ways, but there are no ropes. You're just saying, I think I can handle this because I'm the oldest one in the room. I'm the oldest one, so I think I can handle it. That would be silly. Several years ago, Christy and I had an ongoing argument uh, that lasted for some time. I didn't, I didn't agree with her, her assessment of the way I was acting because she was wrong, but uh, uh, it was an ongoing fight that we had. And finally, and I, I hesitated doing this, but finally our, our close friends here, we asked to meet with them, and the four of us sat down. And it was really hard to do because I don't like to tell people where we struggle, right? I mean, nobody wants to have their marriage put out in front of other people. That's probably just me. You all are fine with it. Um, And so we sat down there, and we talked about this issue. And I was like, she's wrong because this is not the way it is. And I won't bore you with the details, although You probably want to know the details because that's kind of exciting, isn't it? To hear other people's stuff. That's a shame. That's a foolish thing. Uh, (laughs) At the end of all of this, our friend said, Ron, you were wrong. Like what you're doing is sinful and wrong. Now, I had two options there, right? The two women were calling out to me here is that I needed to save face. The lady folly sounds pretty good right now because, no, I can't accept that. But I would be foolish 
And so listening to wise counsel in my life for people who are all younger than I am um, was a good thing. It was a good thing for our marriage. It was a good thing for my Christian walk. So sometimes we need to give people freedom to speak wisdom in our lives. And we're so busy talking about wisdom in your life that I'm doing that I'm not living and listening to uh, what you have for me. Just wrapping this up here is that our model for seeking wisdom is not ultimately Solomon, even though he was the wise man, the wisest man in Egypt and in the East, but it is Jesus. Jesus tells us in Luke that the queen of the south came from the lands of uh, the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is that something greater than Solomon. We seek wisdom because we seek Jesus. That should be our starting point, the wisest one of all. Our lives should be so oriented on wisdom because wisdom points us to Jesus. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more wise we are. And the more wisdom we seek, the closer we get to Jesus. It's almost this circular uh, idea. Jesus is the one, not lady wisdom, not the woman folly, but Jesus is the one calling to us in the street. He's saying, come, all who are simple, all who need wisdom, I will give you rest. Come and let us listen to him. I end with the same author, uh, Ray Ortland, who started us off. He says this uh, about Jesus' wisdom and a model for his life. For your sake, Jesus lived a perfect life. He chose wisdom every time and against intense seduction. Then Jesus died on the cross, a death he did not deserve, a sacrificial death for the stupidity of the rest of us. That is what the gospel announces. If you will receive this Jesus by mere faith, he will give you the perfect record as a gift. This perfect record is placement in God's position. This perfect record is the perfect record of righteousness, of sinlessness. It's the perfect record of wisdom. Wouldn't we all want that? Uh, Zachariah now is going to come up and lead us in a prayer of confession as we look at ways that we have been foolish and not sought God's wisdom.